Welcome to the Core Women Podcast. My name is Dr. Summer Watson. I'm a doctor of psychology, podcaster, published author, coach, producer of documentary empowerment films, and empowerment seminars. This podcast is a special place for the hearts and souls of women. It is a place where women share their journeys, strength, resiliency, strategy, and passions. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Lindsay O'Mears, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist, clinician, and assistant professor. She is looking forward to launching a podcast in 2021 focused on discussing mind-body connections from within a social conscious framework. Lindsay has an incredible sense of humor, so this interview is sure to touch on aspects of her incredible journey, and it'll be filled with laughter. Let's get right into this, Lindsay, and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So before we take a deep dive into your professional background, let's take the conversation to where you grew up and what your personal journey looked like. Sure. Um, I grew up in the uh, Los Angeles area. Uh, we jumped around quite a bit. So growing up, I had uh, an interesting blend of uh, ethnic influences. I had my father who was born and raised in Mexico and he had come over here. So I, I grew up in a very uh, rich Hispanic culture and background. Um, even though I was very white passing. So our, our family was uh, located in the Los Angeles area, primarily around the Glendale, Eagle Rock, Pasadena, uh, like the, those little cluster of cities, uh, but we moved a lot. So the early years of, uh, of my development were spent doing a lot of movement, a lot of transitioning. Okay, and so as you transitioned, what did that look like for you? And how did your family stay connected during all those moves? The, the move looked like 15 different elementary schools. Uh, it looked like being very quickly aware of my surroundings right. and very quickly learning how to navigate social situations and kind of capitalize on uh, just some of my own personality yeah. characteristics in, in learning how to make people laugh and learning how to bring levity to the situation. Mm. It looked like always being the new girl right, in right. any situation and, and finding a way to make that work for me. I also got very, very good at reading people very quickly out of necessity. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it meant that I could take a look at situations pretty early on. And, and figure out where they were going, what it was going to look like, and where I either should go or wanted to go. And those weren't always aligned. Right. Tell us about that. Why was that not aligned <clears throat> for you? So let's go there. Sure. So sometimes I could see where I should go. Um, I had the ability to perform scholastically. I just had that as a, as a strength of mine. But that ne wasn't necessarily where all of the, the coolest or popular kids were hanging out. That wasn't where the energy was. There wasn't that same buzz. And so I would find myself torn, especially in a new school where those circles didn't overlap, trying to figure out which one was the better choice for me. And it, it, all of those transitions, I think, really helped me to navigate in a new way. And because they were so... So quickly, you know, the transition from one to the other very, very quickly, it gave me the opportunity to learn from my mistakes and make a, a growth uh, 
growth choices, choices in the direction of growth very quickly. Right. Well, it sounds like having moved from school to school to school, having really identified with education and that being kind of your saving grace Mm -hmm. where you could go and feel safe, but also having some difficulty between like Mm -hmm. kind of bridging that gap between that whole social sphere and then that educational sphere and bringing that together. But you did well because again, you found something to kind of bring that together, which was laughter, which was your own authenticity, which was your personality and going from place to place to place. I find, you know, especially being a military spouse and watching military kids having to do this quite often, not necessarily reinvent themselves, but really understand what it is that helps them adjust and transition effectively. And they can identify that pretty quickly. Yeah, it's amazing. And children are so, they're so resilient. They're so versatile. And looking back on it, I feel really grateful for having that opportunity because it it really pushed me to accept those parts of myself that were authentic. The parts of me that were a little bit weird, the parts of me that cursed a lot, the parts of me that... <laughs> Hell yeah! Yeah. <laughs> the parts of me that were really me because I got right. to try on a number of different identities. I got to play with that in a way that was uh, maybe not as accessible to other folks. <clears throat> and I think pretty early on and much, much earlier than the rest of my peers, I got to feel very comfortable. Like, all right, this, this, is, the, this is the truest version of me. And how can I grow that? Right. Absolutely. And that is phenomenal because many times kids don't have to really think about those things um, because they're stable. They're in one school. There's, so there was a lot of uprooting for you. There's a lot of instability. So you had to kind of adjust and pivot and transition. And do you find that that adjusting that multiple transitions helped you as an adult? Yes and no. So yes, because I can, Um, I can face any set of challenges and know if this doesn't work out, there's going to be another path. Something else is going to open up. Something is going to change. And having that confidence that, okay, having, having the understanding that you tried something, it didn't work out, but there's going to be something else that you can do, that you can move to, that you can rotate around. I think that's invaluable. Um, I would say the the ways in which it became challenging is that you get really used to transitions, right? And so yes. the, the feeling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know where you're going. Yes, with this. right. You get so you used why. to it. You get into a lull, and you're like, mm, "Something's not right." Like, where, yeah. uh, what's going to happen? You you start to wait for that other shoe to drop. You have that. I think Brene Brown was calling it that foreboding joy. Like, this is really great. Wait, what's going to happen? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, for me as a military spouse and having been in that lifestyle for 20 something years, I found myself and I still find myself after like the three, four year mark of being somewhere like it's time to go. It's time to go. It's what's, time to get up and do something. What's the new thing? We're done. <laughs> okay. Keep what's it moving. Keep it moving. Right. <laughs> and it's not because I'm unstable. It's more because... I like trying new things. Now I'm used to that way of living. And so now that we've been situated somewhere for five and a half, almost six years, I'm like, huh, 
Mm-hmm. You get kind of antsy. You get the walls creep again. in a little. And you gotta do some, you, you, yeah, I processed that a lot, right? Like how much of this is my trauma? How much of this is, is really me looking for the next thing and pushing myself and, and really parsing that out because a lot of that instability did come from having family members who were steeped in mental illness and addiction. And so the transitions and the purpose of the transitions were rooted in some really challenging things that I had to deal with, but the transitions themselves and the way that I, I ended up you know, perceiving them, conceptualizing them and utilizing them became a really powerful tool. So even as I continue to grow and I learn, I'm still making sure I keep that check in place. We're like, all right, is this the good part? Is this the best? What, what's my real motivation here? And making sure I do that work before I up and uproot everything. Cause maybe, maybe I can settle in for a little while longer. Maybe this position is purposeful. I've got a new mantra, right? Uh, because right. We, uh, as a parent now, as a new parent, I want to I want to cultivate some stability for my child while also making sure that I I, uh, I attend to my own needs for change and transformation in a positive way. So I'm always like, mm, yeah. stay the course until <laughs> the change is right. Stay the course. Stay the course. <laughs> is this the <laughs> optimal time for that change, or are you feeling antsy? <laughs> right. Well, you know what? That is so. That is so good to hear that you have those checks and balances, that you have that insight about this, because really a lot of times we miss stuff. We miss these things about how are we doing, checking in with ourselves. Is this something that I'm reacting to versus being proactive about? So you've got those, you're insightful. You did touch on trauma. Yes. And that, uh, that's going to be I would say an ongoing theme throughout my work is working with trauma. And, you know, they have, they, they break it down. There's big T and little T trauma, uh, but they, they still affect our body and our mind in similar ways. Um, they right. have these kind of salient effects that influence our physical health, our mental health, our ability to connect with others, which is also tied to that. Um, and our, our really our ability to start picking apart our intentions versus, you know, things that are habitual. Um, and I want to, <laughs> in my clinical work, I've seen it as a salient feature in clients working in addiction. Uh, I've seen it as a, a salient feature as a, as a function of grief and right. grieving and focusing in on, on those really core and important moments in time that are transformational. I think is, I think that's really, really foundational for the kind of work that I want to do. And I I see it, I see it in both clinical work and I see it just working as, as an academic, as a professor with students. I see students who are progressing and, and performing and then see that drop off. And I think something's going on here. Let's check in uh, and taking that as a framework instead of taking the more uh, academic, like you're not doing your work on time. <laughs> right, right. No, uh, I think it, it, it yields better outcomes just overall. And w- when we can do trauma-informed care, I think that's, it's, uh, it, well, it's, fa- it's foundational in all my work. Absolutely. So let's go back to some of the trauma that you experienced. Sure. You want to talk about that a little bit? I, I do. I, well, I'm always, I'm always open to talk. About it. <laughs> I'll talk about mine and you talk about yours. No. <laughs> right. Oh, hey, this is a quick we've all got it. Wow. You've all got it. It's just a different flavor. 
Right. <laughs> and that's, oh, yes. That's what I think is really important is that we, we, all, we all have it. Uh, we all have these, those moments of transition, those pivotal experiences. So mine came from, I grew up with parents who were teen parents. They uh, were very, very quickly um, shifting from, you know, adolescence into parenthood. And they had four children consecutively. Wow. Okay. So it was the oldest of four initially, the oldest of five later on, uh, but the oldest of four and they're, you know, 17, 18, still struggling with their own issues, their own family of origin issues. Uh, and what I saw, uh, what I learned <laughs> in my journey was uh, a lot of the things that we saw, a lot of the movement was because of mental health issues, was because right. of anxiety and depression. Uh, was because of uh, borderline personality disorder in my mother and was uh, a function of my father's addiction. Later on, as I got older, my father was also diagnosed with schizophrenia. Um, and so it, some of that has to do with a typical age of onset for schizophrenia, um, but some of that likely was substance induced. And so right. getting an understanding of what the hell is going on in my life <laughs> became a big motivator into learning about mental health and to learn about addiction. And I like to be very up for, upfront about that because it seems like a big obvious, like it's, that's, a, that's a big obvious tell, Lindsay, as to where you are and why you got there. Right. Um, yes, so I went into mental health care. I went into addiction. Um, and at first it was really challenging. I would say I was constantly being confronted with various themes that I myself were having a challenging time with. Right. And so I really spent a lot of time working on my own, on my own shit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I worked on my own shit. Like I really, I really started to dig it out. I really wanted to get real about what I was thinking and what I was feeling and, and, and where I was going and how other people are experiencing that and how other people are managing that and what has worked and what hasn't worked and why those things are working and not working. Uh, and ultimately, uh, and I was doing this young, so I, I got into these things probably when I was around 13, where I lived at Crown Bookstore, where, where when Crown Bookstore was a thing, and it started right. with self help, and right. I would just sit there and pour. They they didn't have a Starbucks that back then, but they did have coffee. Right. So I was, I was a burgeoning intellectual, just sitting drinking my coffee and waiting for somebody to kick me out because I looked like a ne'er do well mostly. Right. <laughs> but like constantly learning and learning, and then uh, moving that into more content, going over to the library. And again, understanding that um, scholastic endeavors, that academia, that uh, learning was a reprieve. It was, it was a way for me to have safety, have shelter, have validation and reinforcement because it was a strength of mine, to have adult support in school and to have a place for me to learn and grow, not just about myself, but about my family, to understand that. And that became such uh, a wonderfully protective uh, aspect of my life that I, I don't think is disconnected. <laughs> I think those things are definitely connected into where, where I went, um, how I grew, and probably the differences in where I am versus where some of my other family members are. 
Yeah, absolutely. You touched on so many things here and so many things I can relate to. So one of the things that you touched on early on was trauma, like big T, little T. And we all have trauma to certain degrees. There's complex trauma Mm -hmm. as well. So that trauma can be layered and how you dealt with that and how people deal with that is different. And they each have their own processes. So with that said, you have your own process. You've worked through that. You gravitated towards learning about it, learning about trauma, learning about where am I? What are my parents doing? You also found safety through that. Mm -hmm. And you touch on mental health, mental illness in regards to schizophrenia in relation to your dad when he was diagnosed. And that's really interesting because of course, working in the clinical field, we both know what that looks like. We both know that age, early twenties, you know, the onset, the factors, the red flags, we've seen it many Mm -hmm. times over. We see that there's an organic feature to that, but then there's things that influence that such as drug use, what that does to the brain. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, We see this and we see how they were also adapting to a certain lifestyle. This is what was being modeled for you. So you felt safety and education, which takes me to a question that's almost a given. What inspired you to be a therapist? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's obvious. Um, (laughs) I was was actually, I always wanted to go. So initially, Initially, I wanted to be a criminal profiler. I tried to apply to the FBI and I got really freaked out when they started doing the background checks because they're like, they're going to find out my dad's a schizophrenic. They're going to find out my mother has borderline personality disorder. They're going to see the long history of addiction. They're going to see all of the felonies and I'll never get in. So initially, <laughs> I wanted to be Clarice from Silence of the Lambs. Uh, <laughs> But there's a shift. And so around that same time, 9-11 had happened and there was a major shift from uh, what I thought was like the pinnacle was was like criminal profiling and, you know, the behavioral units over there. But uh, a lot of that shifted into Homeland Security and a lot of that shifted into uh, terrorism, anti-terrorism units. And it wasn't really where my passion lied. Uh, And I shifted gears. Because what I really wanted to do was I wanted to work in settings where I could use some of the tools and some of my experience. And I, in my early, early days, and when I was like nine or 10, I really wanted to be a therapist once I found out what that was. And it shifted probably due to media. And then it shifted back. I was like, well, I don't have to work with serial killers. Maybe that's also a little extreme. I can just work with other people. (laughs) (laughs) I can work with lots of other things. And, you know, I have a really a really rich history and knowledge and base for this. And so I shifted gears uh, about three quarters of the way done. So I got a sociology and criminology degree and then I shifted gears and I went over to psych for undergrad, knowing that that was gonna be the new direction. Gosh, you knew that early, that's good for you. And I I also did a psych early, but then I did the shift uh, to English because then I thought lawyer. So oh. it's like funny how early on we did these different shifts and then later again, shifted back to psych, right? <laughs> it draws you in. When you know, it draws you in. There's no way to avoid it. <laughs> it does draw you in. And in my master's program, which was master's in human services with a specialty in counseling, 
I realized I was doing a lot of self-growth. I was doing a lot of learning. I was doing a lot of like, aha, this is why this is happening. And again, I go back to everybody's got trauma. It's how we recognize that trauma. It's how we transition through that trauma and embrace it to a certain degree where we can work through it. And so when I sit down with people and they say, nothing's wrong, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh like, oh, um, uh, you settle in, right? And they're like, I'm going to get comfortable for this. Okay, okay. We're, gonna get comfortable, we're not going right? anywhere for a while. Everybody's got something. <laughs> yeah. Everybody has something. And as much as you want to say, no, there's nothing. I mean, yeah, we can all be happy. I'm not saying we're not, but there's something. Every family's got something. That's just a given. So, and I want to put that out there because a lot of times when we're going through it, especially when we're younger, we think, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. People are going to find out, but guess what? Other people have it going on too. They all do. And I think a lot of what I felt early on was the sense of shame. And what I was processing so much was this feeling, one, that everybody could read that on my face. The second I walked into the door in a public setting, I would have this huge pang of anxiety as if they all knew. They all knew I was going through something different. They all could see what I felt all day, every day, and addressing that in a real tangible way in that one, no, not everybody is seeing that on me. That's not what they see. That's not how I'm presenting myself. And while those are core parts of my identity, those do not make up all of me. And two, if you create a safe space for people, they will open up about all their things and they're likely feeling the exact same way. And unifying folks together when they when they are feeling so isolated, when they're feeling so visible and when they're so deep in their pain, creating a sense of community for folks to say like, yeah, I'm in pain. Yeah, I'm in pain too. Oh, really? (laughs) Opening that up, creating that dialogue, creating that, that sense of community and space is really helpful to get folks on track with really looking at it, with being okay that it's there and working through it, just like you said. Oh, brilliant well-spoken is so right on point. And I think starting at pre-adolescence to adolescence, that's a great way of starting with it. But then you go back a little further to those that are a little bit younger, you see them really just kind of acting out what's happening. So there's not a lot of talking, there's a lot of behavior. And so people are saying, why, why are these kids behaving or acting out? And yet they're not taking into context that there could be something else going on that they are unaware of. So ask the questions. So ask the questions, observe behavior. And that's really important. And I know that teachers have a lot going on, but in school, that's where you're going to see it. (laughs) Yes. Well, that's where you're going to see it. And right right now I'm working at a, at an institution training healthcare professionals and these folks are going to be going into different areas of healthcare. And it's one of the things that I keep trying to hone in and trying to make an important point is that they're seeing symptoms, they're treating symptoms, they're treating pain, they're treating illnesses, but are they doing that, those extra steps to find out what's going on there? Because I do. And I think that while children have that as their behavior set and they don't have as much awareness, many, many adults do as well. And it manifests itself. It's coming out in the surface as 
not caring for their bodies properly, not seeking medical attention in ways that are, are meaningful to them that will improve their lives. There are you know, direct self-harm and there are indirect self-harm behaviors. And I think as a healthcare professional, when I'm you know, working with these folks who are, who are training to be in these fields, educating them about how their role can be really purposeful, connecting folks with other resources and tools and watching for those key things. And it, it's entry level, it's, it's, it's gen ed courses. These, are, these folks aren't going into graduate level coursework, right. but still pre preparing them for those tools. Because like you said, it's not always gonna show up as, right. I'm depressed, I'm experiencing trauma, I'm overwhelmed, my body is overwhelmed. What they'll see is I'm constantly sick. I'm constantly having infections. I can't get over this cold. And in the age of COVID, it's a little bit different. But in right. general, you're, you will see our bodies start to react in these very interesting and interconnected ways because we're a system. And getting Absolutely. folks to see that that system is real, that it's validated and building that into even entry-level coursework for these folks. Oh, that is so well said because I think you, you touched on something that's really important. And many times it's those frontline workers. It's those people who's, who are on the playground with the kids that are seeing these behaviors. Mm -hmm. So it's really critical when you are teaching those types of classes to teach about symptoms, what to potentially look out for. We're not saying to diagnose by any means because that is not what we're saying here, but look at behavior, listen actively listen to what kids are saying to you, mm -hmm. but more so they're going to be speaking from their behavior. Yes. And so I think those classes are really pertinent when it comes to identifying and being one of those, identifying some issues and being that frontline worker. Mm -hmm. So important because those are the first people who are going to see behavior and they can then go to other folks and say, Hey, listen, mm -hmm. I'm just going to tell you what I've seen. I don't know if it's anything but I do want to make you aware of A, B, and C. Yeah. Okay. So thank you so much for describing your personal journey, some of your professional journey, what that looks like, how you got there. So I'm going to ask you, can you identify what skills or an innate ability you have that has gotten you through some of your hardships and challenges? Humor. 100% humor. And sometimes it's the darkest, worst humor. It's the most potty mouthed humor in the whole world. It's, it's terribly inappropriate. <laughs> it has gotten me into hot water. It's very direct. I will, I will say some cutting things with some <laughs> hilarious lines interjected that make it just a little bit better to be received. And, and I, <laughs> I'm hoping <laughs> Lindsay will say some shit. <laughs> Lindsay will fucking say some shit and she'll get real on you, but you will walk away from that with something you didn't have before, <laughs> or at least the tools. Fuck yeah, you will. Fuck yeah. <laughs> That's right. Get real with strong language. That's right. <laughs> I'm not trying to plug my book, but fuck yeah. Uh, I have your book. It's wonderful. So <laughs> wait, wait. I love it. And I told you folks out there, this was going to be, you know, covered with some language and some, a lot of fun and a lot of laughs. And so it is. So let's talk about, and we talked previously, let's talk about this podcast that you're putting together and when you're going to launch it. 
Uh, so I'm putting together a podcast. Uh, I have selected the name Fuck Your Feelings as my podcast name. It will, uh, it'll get some attention, right? So yeah. we, we want to interject some infotainment into some very real uh, life skills for some very real ways for folks to get access to content that can improve their lives without struggling with some of the other podcast content or maybe some of that that air of superiority, I feel, that comes out when folks get too clinical. When we start talking about how to improve our lives, but we're talking about it as if our own lives are perfect, there's a disconnect there. There's a lack of authenticity. So I wanna get real with folks. I'm a real therapist. We're gonna talk about some real shit. Your feelings are gonna get real and I'm gonna give you real fucking tools to make it a little bit better if you if you use them if you use them we'll talk about some ways to make that shit better and right. it'll be a it'll be a safe place for for you to get real with your feelings because it's yeah. not always so polished and pretty it's not sitting there in a therapist's office talking it's crying it's screaming it's punching things uh, it's it's getting things out that are inside of you that you may not feel safe to do in other spaces. And, and talking about things that are important clinically is going to be interjected into that. But I, I, want, I want folks to really say like, oh yeah, and she's fucking real. Like we got into some real, real conversations. I walked away from that knowing more than I did before and laughing all the way through it because that laughter, that humor, and the expletives are all they're they're going to they're going to open folks up. It's going to create more lines of connection with folks who are are struggling with things in their in their everyday lives. Yeah, I I absolutely love that. I like that <laughs> idea. I think that's going down the right path, and it's going to really help people live in their their authenticity. And I don't want to use that word, just throw that word around because it's used so often. However, I do want to say that they can live in their realness. Yes. They can live in their purpose. They can connect and be real. So that's one of the things I mentioned in my book, Effie, I get real with strong language, right? Because I talk about being an engineer, being a scientist, being a clinician, and how we have these languages that are elitist, yeah. that only certain people are allowed in the group because of the languages and the information that we know. Mm -hmm. However, with our profession in particular, as clinicians in psychology and human services, we do have this language, but we're also connected with people. And to be connected with people, we have to be aware that this is something where we need to get real and create a space where people are comfortable enough to talk about what's going on. Those walls if, have to come down. Come down. If they don't come down, they're going to remain. And what good is the therapy that we're doing? I mean, it's nice to have this pretty little package, but this is messy stuff. It's behavior. It's thoughts. It's all this stuff wrapped into human beings. And this is one thing I get about being on this podcast um, from many people is that I've created a space and people after the interview will say, wow, you know, I never told anybody that. <laughs> How come I'm telling you that? 
because it. that's the biggest compliment isn't it the biggest compliment oh it's because, you, because you, we work that's the that's the focus of it that's the focus and we want to create these spaces where they're a home for your heart and soul where they're a place where you can be real and talk about real shit because if you're not talking about that real shit then what's the fucking point what's the point <laughs> what's the point of any of this it's all those surface conversations it's those facades it's those masks it's, right and it's all of that stuff it's all of those expectations of perfection the expectation that this is what it should look like the, those are barriers those right. are not functional they're all barriers and right. tearing that down across the board and just getting into our better selves our most open selves it's going to open up our creativity it's going to open up our problem solving it's going to open up our ability to connect which is ultimately you know huge in terms of our ability to heal right it's going to help people touch on what they value mm -hmm. what's important and once you do that and they can identify some of their own feelings some of their own triggers and yes i'm using some of those buzzwords but when they can identify those specifics that really helps break down those walls and start doing the real work. And that work can be challenging. There can be setbacks and folks out there. If, even if you're doing the work <laughs> and you regress a little, that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. It's okay. Forgive yourself. Have some grace, get back on it. Start working more, start working again because it fucking sucks until it doesn't. It sucks. Right, right. Because you did the work and I'm going to touch back on this, Lindsay, you did the work as you were going through school and you had been exposed to drugs and alcohol and watching people abuse this, maybe abusing it yourself at times. Mm -hmm. And then also going into seeing people who had mental health issues so you were confronting this constantly. And I can say, even as, you know, being exposed myself to people who had drug and alcohol issues, that was something I really veered away from. I'm like, I don't want to deal with dual diagnosis. I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to. And I know why. And when I'd see movies that has like, um, you know, people abusing drugs and alcohol, I was like, no, I don't want to watch that movie. It's too I don't want to watch that movie. It goes, it, it was, goes right it was, into those core right for wounds it's too close right and for a long time i i i did the opposite so yes i as a as a young person i escaped so 12 to 16 i escaped really hard into drugs and alcohol and as a young tiny person who didn't understand how to process everything that i was going through those were very very challenging times for me mm -hmm. uh, i ended up sleeping on the street and being homeless. I ended up in some very tragic situations and watching tragic things happening to folks. Uh, and, and ultimately, you know, uh, I, I took that step back and I, I, re I shifted gears. I had, I had already been pouring myself into figuring out what was going on and I needed to take those steps to address those feelings in a different, in a different way. Right. And it was very close for a while. I still wasn't able to really talk about those things until I had built that callus, until those feelings weren't just feelings anymore, they were facts. Because fuck those feelings. They right. didn't help me. Right. They yeah. didn't help me to progress through. And as long as I held them as these deep, deep feelings that just resonated down to my core into pain, I knew that I had to keep working on that until I could talk about it like it was a fact 
until right. I could take those feelings and turn them into something else. Right. And we're, and I love what you say about turning those feelings into facts. And many times, if we can't get past all those looming and circulating feelings, we're going to be stuck and weighted in them. And so we have to eventually say, okay, we recognize you. We recognize mm -hmm. that you're there and how you're feeling, but now it's time to start the real work. And that means how are we going to do this? And everybody's process is different. Yes. And I think sometimes too, those feelings create dopamine for people. They create that energy that people kind of thrive off of because mm -hmm. that's kind of what they've learned. That's what they've, what's been modeled. And so they, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Until you recognize that's creating some of the drama mm -hmm. <laughs> and that you're feeding off the of that. drama from your trauma. <laughs> exactly. And that you're feeding off of that. It's going to keep going. Yeah. Sometimes you have to just kind of quiet those motions and say, I understand you. I hear you, but now it's time to get to work. And that's why the podcast is going to be called Fuck Your Feelings, because yeah. they're going to come up and they are going to deceive you. They are going to interrupt your ability to move forward. And we honor them and we love them, but they are not your facts. I yeah. feel like a failure. I feel like I'm not good enough. I feel like I can't do this. Right. You get and to have them. You get to have them. But that is not the truth. That is not a fact. The fact is you're you're a badass. You're a warrior woman. You are, a, <laughs> you're an amazing, majestical creature. <laughs> right. You're an amazing dude. You're yeah, absolutely. All of that. And to get back on that track, it's time to say, I recognize you feelings, but let's process out of this. Let's process and look at the facts because sometimes when we become more factual about things, it makes that goal setting achievable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It makes that, you know, that transformation easier. Yeah. So thank you so much. What a great, oh my gosh, people. Hey, you're going to have to check out this new podcast with Lindsay. This sounds amazing. Okay. As we wrap up, my last question is for you, Lindsay, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? Don't be afraid to be unabashedly yourself whoever that person is on the inside, that's who you are. Embrace it, love it, and don't be afraid of what they have to tell you and what they have to show you. Thank you so much, Lindsay, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. It's been my pleasure. I uh, look forward to hearing all of the future episodes. I'm also a, a subscriber and listener. <laughs> I, I truly appreciate that. Now, if you would like to connect with Lindsay O'Mears, please follow her on LinkedIn at Lindsay, O-M-E-I-R-S. If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at info at corewomen.com. I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about Core Women in your social media posts, please hashtag Core Women. This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about Core Women, and please stay tuned for continued growth, 
of the Core Women Movement. Let's grow and drive change together.